Today, the West Australian Police Force announced a new policy to address the incarceration rates of Aboriginal people here in WA. This follows on from Police Commissioner Chris Dawson's public apology for the historical treatment of Aboriginal people back in July of this year. And now that history and that history, uh, historical treatment of Aboriginal people is uh, one that unfortunately is very much underreported, underreported and under-researched. It's uh, often the case here in Australia and elsewhere that the treatment of Indigenous people is, is almost a forgotten history and we seem very unwilling to confront our past and our past treatment of uh, Aboriginal people, perhaps because uh, a lot of that treatment is ongoing. But someone that has certainly looked at the, the treatment of uh, Aboriginal people under the, the West Australian Police Force is Chris Owen. He uh, published uh, a book, Every Mother's Son is Guilty, in 2016, and the book provides a compelling account of policing in the Kimberley District from 1882, when the police were first established in the area, until 1905, when Dr Walter Roth uh, had the Royal Commission into the Treatment of Aboriginal People, and that commission was released. A little earlier today, I had the opportunity to speak to Chris Owen, and I started by asking Chris about the the broader, I guess, aspects of uh, policing in the Kimberley, specifically in terms of how often uh, policing in, 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 you know, not just in Aboriginal communities, but whenever there is violence, frontier violence, it's often considered uh, to be the, the work of a few bad eggs or a few lone individuals and not so much a systemic problem. And I started by asking Chris whether his research proved or disproved that that was the case. Well, look, there were certainly a lot of bad eggs out there and it seemed to, the frontier of Australia seemed to attract the sort of... Um, particularly nasty, brutal police officer. But by and large, um, particularly in Western Australia, I mean, the police were hired, um, employed for their backgrounds, which was often known as being brutal. They were often recruited from... They often had military experience prior to joining the police force. Um, And the main key thing is that they were often directed by the government of the day to do exactly what they were doing, and that was often clearing the frontiers of what was called troublesome Aboriginal people. Um, and this was particularly in, in the Kimberley in the 1890s. The, the whole um, government administration knew exactly what was going on. And then periodically there'd be these reports of people in the Kimberley would be saying things like, oh, I think, you know, I think there's an awful lot of shooting going on up there. And people would just say, no, no, nothing to see here, move along. Um, so while they were the particularly brutal police, they were... You know, the government pretty much tacitly endorsed them doing exactly what they were doing. Um, it was sort of like an open secret. Um, and, it, and Like, WA was different in, in that it didn't have what was called the notorious native police force, which is Queensland, New South Wales, Northern Territory had. They were sort of unrestrained police forces that used to go out and um, just randomly shoot Aboriginal people all over the frontiers. And WA never, ever instituted one, but they had something almost exactly similar anyway. It was just an informal native police force. Um, Their sole goal was to pacify the frontier of of Western Australia. And was there a particular reason you decided to focus your research on the Kimberley? Was the Kimberley, uh, or could it be argued that the Kimberley was was worse than anywhere else in Western Australia? Or was there any particular other factors that that, uh, made you decide to focus on that uh, on that part of uh, the state. 
Um, oh, the Kimberley is the worst in Western Australia, without a doubt. Um, I just started looking, this is some you know, 14 years ago, I started looking at the police records. Up. They're just out of interest and they're remarkable because they're still so intact. There's thousands and thousands of them, or, you know, either all handwritten, obviously, but the police were required to keep a written log of every single thing they were doing up there. So I started looking at the police files and was just, just frankly, astounded at them. They're just showing great detail exactly what they're doing. They'd go out and bush, what we call bush patrols for, for, for days or up to several months um, with their Aboriginal assistance called Native Assistance. They had a horse and a gun. They didn't wear a uniform. Um, so all this is really well documented. They used to travel from pastoral station to pastoral station um, seeing if pastoralists were reporting any troublesome, you know, the troublesome blacks as they were known. Um, so I started looking at all these records and then you see, you can see how they linked toward into government administration and how the government knew exactly what was going on. So I sort of, so this is for my PhD, so I sort of, it was sort of like unpicking an impossible puzzle to work out what exactly is going on. And once I worked out how it all interlinked with government administration and, you know, the legal system and magistrates and what was going on up there, I, I could sort of form a picture of, the true history of police in the Kimberley up there. Um, and also the, the thing about the Kimberley is it's the second biggest Aboriginal population in Australia behind Queensland. Um, so you'll see the population, I think they estimated at anywhere between 10 and 30,000 people. Um, that's at colonisation, 1882. Um, by 10, year, 10 years later, it had got dropped down to 5,000. So... I think most Aboriginal people died through introduced disease, but several hundred would have been shot. Mm. No, definitely. That's uh, I mean, it's quite remarkable. Just you know, even hearing the figures like that. But it is also quite remarkable that there is still the records. As you know, I'd imagine. Unfortunately, with uh, you know a lot of the history of colonial and frontier violence, uh, much of the records from his time have been lost, or, or you know perhaps even covered up, or simply never recorded to begin with. I mean, you, you said that that the records were available, but how I guess difficult was it to conduct the research? In particular, what was the quality of the police records like in terms of how did they actually, I guess, record these events? You know, these massacres, or or just the the policing in general. Oh, okay. Um well, we're, we are very lucky to have such a vast repository at the State Records Office, Western Australia, um, of these records, and it's remarkable they've survived. Um, a lot of it, there's basically three different versions. There's the police used to have an occurrence book, which they had to fill out every day to say what they're doing. They had letter books, which they had to send to Perth to explain exactly what they were doing. They would go directly to the commissioner of police and they had the bush bush patrol journals which they had to fill out when they were traveling through the countryside this last these bush journals are the most contentious of all the records because while they were compelled to fill them out on a daily basis it's pretty clear that they were implicating themselves in illegal activity so you have to be very careful reading reading some of these records um, some police directly admitted to shooting lots of Aboriginal people because that's, you know, that was basically what they were told to do. But others would be more cautious and, you know, they'd use the word which was used Australia-wide, we dispersed the natives, which either meant, which um, sort of absolves them of any responsibility by using this sort of um, vague, indeterminate word dispersal. Um, 
But what you can do is you can corroborate uh, police reports with Aboriginal oral history and other uh, settler accounts. And that's what I had to do. You have to sort of piece together the dates and the places and the events. Um, there's a very rich Aboriginal oral, oral history in the Kimberley that, that's documented. And a lot of the, the massacres are recorded um, and um, in, they're held in the Batty Library of the State Records Office of Western Australia. So you just sort of just got to piece things together. And you'll also find in the police records, very rare, but um, lots of Aboriginal testimony about uh, massacres. They're, they make for harrowing reading, but it shows exactly what police and settlers were doing on some of these expeditions. You know, they'd often be drunk. Uh, they'd take rum with them. They'd uh, just track down any Aboriginal group they came across, and they'd often kill women and children. Um, this is all documented in police records. Um, and I'm, I'm very cautious when I'm assessing this information just to work out the veracity of it. And I'm, and I'm extremely confident that they're completely correct. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you mentioned there that, uh, you know, police were effectively told uh, to, to shoot Aboriginal people. And, and, and as you've sort of, you said earlier, that a, a lot of this was coming uh, from the top down. Uh, was there specific, I guess, evidence from, you know, I guess, government records or such saying that, you know, that this was very much a top down thing and then that and it was closely uh, tied to the acquisition of Aboriginal lands? And were there any, or was there any evidence of orders, you know, coming directly from people? people such as the the commissioner himself? Oh, there is explicit evidence. Um, what would happen, the pastoralists um, would, were sending these, you know, demanding letters going, look, the blacks are on, on my country killing all the cattle, which was an outright exaggeration. Um, letters would go to the commissioner of police, letters would go to uh, Premier John Forrest, letters would go to parliamentarians who would stand up in Parliament and say... Um, you know, we need to do something about this. The cattle industry is going to collapse. Um, there's voluminous correspondence. Um, after there was uh, Trooper Joe Collins was killed in 1893 by uh, Aboriginal people in, in the um, East Kimberley. And, and um, in response, the police went out and shot, I think, 23 people in, in one sitting. And when that news got out, it got ventilated through newspapers and it was, you know, just, again, people are going, what, what on earth is going on up there? And um, the Attorney General, uh, Wharton, says to, says to John Forrest, look, what, what's going on? There's a war of extermination going up by there on the unfortunate blacks. So it's known about at the highest level of government, but no one ever sort of said stop it because, because it was a sort, sort of informal system of pacifying the frontier. Um, and it came down to a simple question. Who's going to have the Kimberley? Cattle or, or the uh, Aboriginal inhabitants? And it's always going to be the cattle. So the rules for protection of Aboriginal people just kept getting moved to, to the point where there weren't, weren't any protections for them. Um, until, you know, by the early 1900s, this is like a 20-year process. They've been pacified enough to, that the cattle industry was, was able to survive. You mentioned earlier how, uh, you know, there were, uh, I guess, you know, many testimonies from Aboriginal people about massacres and also the, the tradition of an oral history within uh, Indigenous Australia is, is still rather strong. Uh, is there or are there examples of these massacres uh, continue, continuing to uh, live through oral history? I mean, because obviously that would have an ongoing effect outside of just the trauma 
of uh, you know people not many generations removed experiencing uh, this uh, frontier violence. But it, but is there uh, evidence to suggest that you know these stories are ongoing and still uh, are very much remembered by uh, Indigenous people in the Kimberley? Oh, very much so. Very much so. I mean. The 1890s in the Kimberley is known as the killing times in, in Aboriginal oral history. And if you say that to Aboriginal people of the Kimberley, they know exactly what you're talking about. Um, a lot of, you know, there's, there's, there's only maybe, you know, four, three, four, five generations since all this occurred. And you'll see, I mean, there's Aboriginal oral histories in the recorded in the 80s. So they're talking, and these people were kids in the, you know, early 1900s. And the stories were passed down, and they're still, they're still, they can be repeated almost word for word about what happened on so and so station about, um, and, you know, the details about it, the often horrifying detail about how they used to be forced to collect wood for their own incineration, and then, but then they'd be tied to a tree, shot, cut up, and burnt. Um, and this is all to do with hiding evidence. If, if there was no evidence of bones, there was no murder. Um, and this is the sort of informal practice that that occurred in the Kimberley from, I think, the early 80s, 1880s to, you know, right up to the Forest River Massacre in 1927, which I'm convinced occurred as well, despite a lot of people uh, suggesting otherwise. Now, there's a. If you look elsewhere in the world, there is a. I guess a lot of both uh, research, but also I guess popular culture around the the histories of Indigenous people, and particularly I guess colonial violence. And I'm thinking uh, specifically maybe of you know North America and 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 you know everything that sort of happened there. Whereas here in Australia, a lot of these stories just haven't been told. Like, why why do you think that is? Do you think it's just that we are still you know very much experiencing this colonial reality, or is there something else that is limiting the amount of, I guess, research, but also just, you know, popular stories being told about this very brutal time? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, also, we're just, we're just not very good at, at acknowledging our own history. I mean, you speak to any Aboriginal people in Australia, and they, they'll tell you their, their experience of this history, but we we seem to want to shun it. And if if evidence of um, the brutality of white settlement is brought up, people often get extremely defensive about it. Um, and it's it's very well documented. You you see it all through European records exactly what happened on the frontiers of, of Australia. And I think we need to acknowledge that this occurred. And um, and it was part and parcel of the settlement process. I mean, there's voluminous evidence that Australia wasn't peacefully settled. It was quite the opposite. Um, and I don't actually... I think we're only really now beginning to acknowledge the reality of how, how the country was settled. And that was by force. Just finally, Chris, uh, in July, the current police uh, commissioner, Chris Dawson, West Australian uh, Police Commissioner Chris Dawson, uh, gave a public apology for the historical treatment of Aboriginal people in Western Australia by the police. And today, actually, the uh, the WA Police Force announced uh, some policy to attempt to reduce Aboriginal incarceration. How significant is this move by the police? And I, I guess given contemporary issues such as Aboriginal deaths in custody and just the, the general rate of incarceration of Aboriginal people, do you think it can be, I guess, argued that this this legacy of systemic racism and, and frontier violence is, is ongoing and still really needs to be addressed? Um, the, the, the 
Dawson apology was, you know, enormously important symbolically. Um, but it also um, acknowledged that, I mean, the police, the, the problem, I'm, I'm hugely sympathetic to a lot of the police because they're put in this role, this multifaceted role, where they're expected to be this sort of social service for on the frontiers of, um, you know, policing Aboriginal people in, in the state. And the problem with WA is it's so enormous that the police get utilised in all, all sorts of roles. Um, and what I, also, just one point, I, there was a lot of police in the Kimberley who were trying to protect Aboriginal people. Um, and when they did try to do this, they often ended up getting in trouble with the white settler population because they weren't doing what they wanted them to do, which was get them off the pastoral stations. Um, so, but back to the policing point, I mean, there is an enormous historical legacy that needs to be addressed, and I think the apology uh, goes away to doing that, but there's clearly a lot more work that needs to be done, um, particularly in Western Australia.